Good morning or good evening if you're on the other side of the globe. From my bedroom closet to wherever you are, thank you for listening, sharing, and subscribing. My name is Sky Stacy. You might know me as SkyFi, rapper and content creator out of Eugene, Oregon. Welcome to another episode of Sky Pilot Sunday's The Podcast. The purpose for this show is to not only explore the perception we have of ourselves versus the external world's perception of us, but to also connect with creative minds and discuss the highs and lows one faces on the journey to happiness and success. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can do so by hitting us up on social media, specifically for the podcast at Sky Pilot Sundays. You can find me at The Real SkyFi as well. Make sure to tag us so we can see and engage with you and your thoughts and use that hashtag SkyPilotSundays. You can find every episode of SkyPilotSundays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Stitcher, Radio Public, and TuneIn. A big shout out to our friends over at Broden Creative Media. That's B-R-O-D-O-N Creative Media for sponsoring and empowering this podcast. Today, we wanted to break down a topic of balance, right? And balancing mental wellness in a physically and emotionally demanding artistic environment. Specifically, this episode centered around ballet. Uh, And no, I am not a ballet dancer by any stretch, but the theme being achieving a balance of mental wellness is something that I know I wanted to break down. And I know there are several people out there listening right now that can relate to that and looking to find and achieve that balance of uh, feeling mentally well. My guest on the show today is a true student to her craft, having trained in dance at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School, the royal part being granted by Queen Elizabeth II in 1953, slight mic drop, and now plays an active role in the Eugene Ballet Company. I thought, who better to help me dig into the topic of balance than a professional ballerina? Please help me in welcoming Sarah Stockwell. Sarah, you're in the air and on the air with Sky Pilot Sundays. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are you? There's that hi. (laughs) (laughs) How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? So good. So good. So good. I'm glad we could make this happen today. For the the opening question, really, you know, I was in kind of arranging how this was best put together and catering to my first interview with a uh, a conversation really with a ballerina before there's a quote from you and I want to I want to say I've got this right here it's good art evokes emotional response that's more true with dance than anything else and is that something you could explain to the audience Since I said it yesterday, I don't know if it's fair to say that dance is is the pinnacle of of that, but I do feel that dance is a visceral manifestation of emotion. Mm. And because you, you can't use words, it's ideal for representing the feelings that you can't find words for. And so in that way, I feel that dance is, uh, it's, it's almost um, an additional language. It doesn't have to be used separately from speech. I think it's just an addition. I'm looking for a better word. <laughs> I think you said plenty of great words. When I think of, you know, classical and, and, and contemporary, um, you know, I think 
of ballet in general and and the art of dance i got a chance to check out the, you know metamorphosis and mm. even as an example the trailer for the statement oh yes and this was fantastic. something I got to, it's fantastic. There's something I got a chance to look at on Vimeo and the choreography and the storytelling components were super compelling to me as someone that's not by nature a, a, a dancer. I myself have not, never partaken in dance and I don't. Well, a lot of people have never been to a show, but they perhaps have experienced dance in a more, I don't want to say superficial way, but but on a, in a more surface way, they haven't really delved into it per se. But once you go down that rabbit hole, there's so much, there's so much there. There's so many styles. I mean, there's so many styles of music mm-hmm. and dance is very interconnected with music, at least for me. Sometimes you dance in silence, but but <laughs> even when you're doing that, there's a beat, there's a rhythm in your body, there there's motion, but it's connect it's connected to something else. It's never just you know, there's if if nothing else, there's some emotion. Even if it's an unnameable emotion, there's something there. For me, I've never I've never had um, you know, a background in dance. Um and being that I come of a, from a musical background, mm-hmm. there is a rhythm. There's an internal rhythm, and whether it is you know dating back to the first caveman, maybe that uh, started noticing that you know to that a rhythm of a piece of wood or a, a bone being uh, beat against a stone rhythmically evoked movement. You know, just naturally, just as a, a byproduct of feeling good. You know, um, maybe if it dates back to that being the example. For me, I know that I find a movement and a natural movement, and we have within ourselves a heartbeat, which is a rhythm. So we we are a groove, yes, absolutely. So I can totally relate in my own experience. And in your experience, what would you say are some of your earliest memories of dance? Mm, My mom would put on Donna Summers and other disco tracks. Yes. uh, Benatar, Abba? any kind of music, I wanted to move to it. I never just sat. I mean, even now, I, I'm a, I'm a, not a twitcher. I, <laughs> I tap my foot. Oh, uh, so not, a, not, not of the video game sampling variety, just more so twitcher. Not a twitcher with dance. Oh. <laughs> no, like a literal, literally involuntary moving, movement. Always moving something. Excellent. I wouldn't even say it's involuntary. There's yeah. just a groove inside that's moving something. Yeah, a flow state. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Tell us about how you began early training. What were those first few years like? Oh, the first, like, do you mean really the first years? The, yes, the, the, the dark night begins. <laughs> um, so... I saw a movie, uh, it was Danny Kaye's Hans Christian Andersen, and there's a ballerina in that movie who is, I've watched it since a couple years ago, and was slightly horrified by how awful she was. Hmm. Not at at dancing, well, a little bit at dancing, but 
she was a horrible diva. She was really rude to everyone around her. Oh. But the costumes and the sets and the the presence, her presence was really cap- it captured me. Hmm. And so magnetic. Was, yeah, it was magnetic. She was magnetic. And so I was two when I saw this movie, and I. This is what my mom says. I asked to take ballet lessons, and I begged, and she was like, mm, "This is gonna be like the things that you see in the toy catalogs, where you want it one day, and then the next day it's something else." Right. And on and on. But I kept, I kept asking for allegedly a year until she couldn't deny that I was actually interested and she was never opposed to the idea. She actually had really wanted to dance as a child, but growing up in Wisconsin, rural Wisconsin with five other siblings in a kind of poor family, that was not an option. Um, anyway, I was three years old and it was half tumbling, half ballet really serious you know like really they really got into <laughs> the technique now it was mostly you learn a little bit of french when you learn ballet mm-hmm. so learning the names of things and the basic positions how to not fall over when you turn your feet out and just when you balance on one leg i mean you learn balance immediately from the beginning you see toddlers and they're turning around and they fall over usually <laughs> but if you have the, the training and you're taught to keep looking at one spot when you turn you don't you don't get dizzy and then you don't fall that makes sense and the opposite <laughs> the opposite i don't of- remember so much <laughs> I, I do remember that we got to at the end of class because actually they were pretty good about teaching some things like really teaching but then my favorite part of class was always when we got to take out the colorful scarves and dance around however we wanted that's a school that i would partake in heck yeah i mean that's a school anyone in eugene would partake in most definitely i'm pretty sure it's called ecstatic dance um they do it at well hall ecstatic i'm ecstatic at the thought of this um (laughs) The opposite of balance, you might say, is is tumbling. Is this word that you used just a moment ago? Is that mm. is that what you might is that sort of like ballet ballerina slang for like a novice? Like, oh, she's a tumbler. Is that like a twitcher? <laughs> oh no, I meant it quite literally. As we learned how to do somersaults and cartwheels, in addition to basic ballet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but. It's funny because, yeah, you'd think that if you fall, that's not graceful. Yes. Um, but there's a move that we use all the time in ballet. It's a tombe, which literally means to fall in French. Oh. And it's just a transition step. It's how you are shifting your weight. You are, rather than like lifting onto it, you fall onto it. But it's still a graceful movement because it's a controlled descent. It's a controlled fall. A controlled so, descent. Yeah. I love the phrasing of that. I might have to incorporate this into my, uh, my, you know, refining of my intention tomorrow morning to never, to never fall, but to embrace uh, the rise and the tomblay. 
<laughs> the tombe, yeah. The tombe. Tombe. First, I'll um, need to get the actually, word right, and then I will write this down. When you said that you had rolled out of bed, I did want to ask if you had literally rolled, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> or gotten out in a different manner. I mean, sometimes I rock, you know, but occasionally I mm. roll. And you know, and yeah. and so tomorrow morning when I roll out of bed to begin my morning routine and start yoga and meditation, I'm I'm actually going to Tombay out of bed. Yes. And remember Beautiful. this conversation. Yes. Descends with control. Life at your grasp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about when did you first take notice of the elite artistry at the Royal Ballet? Mm. Oh, I don't think I knew about the Royal Ballet specifically. I had maybe seen them, but I don't think I really saw what they were doing that was different until I was about 12. That was when I went to Royal Winnipeg Ballet School for the first time. Mm. Was the summer I was 12 years old, so I'm not going to say when that was. And... (laughs) I'm, I'm young, but for a ballet dancer, I'm old. It's a really strange thing. No, oh, we're forever young. <laughs> yes, that's true. I just included myself in that story, yeah. Oh, everyone is forever young. You just have to feel young inside and it'll manifest in beneficial ways, oh, I think. Yeah. yeah, I'm opening up my lemonade stand tomorrow, actually. <laughs> that's good. One should always make lemonade. Oh, hey, when life gives you lemons, you know, start a podcast. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> when did you know uh, that? Sorry, what was the question? Oh, Royal Ballet. Yeah. Uh, so I was 12, and I, I, I think we just watched a lot of YouTube videos on our lunch break. We would, like, shovel food into our faces because we were so hungry because we had already danced for three hours. Pretty, not pretty, very intensely. <sighs> and then we would finish our lunch break just still ravenously devouring but videos of incredible dancers and seeing the poise Mm. and having felt how difficult being held to a higher standard going to that intensive training school you you started to understand like how much it took to control a descent to have actual agency over every limb every little bone in your body Mm -hmm. down to your from your fingers to your toes that was that was when i when i saw how different it was and could appreciate really the the level of elite success in ballet because of course, when I was young, very young, I saw the older students at my—we call them Dolly Dinkle schools—but my ballet school growing <laughs> up was not prestigious by any means. More ballerina slang for you folks at home, right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, we'll get into. There's so much slang. We sometimes call feet biscuits. Me um, too. <laughs> Constantly. Yeah, biscuit feet. Sometimes it's a diss, and sometimes it's just, sometimes it just means feet. So you have to be careful. Man, the legend of biscuit feet. <laughs> Especially the name of our Wi-Fi, because my roommates thought it was so funny. What, um, what was the name of your Wi-Fi? Biscuit feet. Biscuit feet. Yeah. Nobody would guess that. No. 
<laughs> it's genius. So it's not a password, but still. You mentioned when you were beginning. Mm-hmm. When did you know that ballet was a career you wanted to seriously pursue? Mm. That would have been a little bit before I went to Winnipeg. When I was, let's see, nine or ten, one of the local teachers who had trained at University of Missouri, somewhere, somewhere, maybe Kansas City, I'm not sure, but she brought in guests and set up a Nutcracker. We, ha- I, most kids. Okay, maybe not most kids, but any kid who grows up in ballet has probably participated in the Nutcracker, something that almost everyone has heard of, even if you're not into ballet. Yeah, I've definitely, I'm one of those kids that saw the Nutcracker at Holt Center back in the day. For sure. So I was, I guess I had an odd ballet upbringing in that I didn't participate in a Nutcracker until I was 10. Which is late in the game. It's late, yeah. Like most of the kids here in Eugene, they'll have been a baby mouse when they were five years old. Then they progress to Angel and Bonbon. There's all these roles and there's like uh, progression Mm -hmm. so that you have things to look forward to and you don't have to do the same thing over and over year after year. Wow, it just naturally evolves. Yeah, it naturally evolves. You build on your skills from one thing to the next. Anyway. I didn't do Nutcracker until then, and this woman brought guest artists because, of course, most small ballet schools, even most larger ballet schools, struggle to find enough boys slash, you know, young men to to take classes because there's this odd stigma that we really need to fix in the United States about boys in ballet. So she brought in these guest artists from a company in New York, and they were incredible. And one of them stayed in Rochester and taught. I grew up in Minnesota, Rochester, Minnesota, which you'd think having the Mayo Clinic, there would be a little more arts, but they're, they're working on it. It's, it's a slow thing to build. Yeah, anything worth doing does take time. Yeah. Absolutely. As you're building these skills, what was it mm. like to train at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School? Uh, I realize I'm so tangential. Um, when I was in Rochester, this teacher, Dion Allen, had danced as a ballerina. There's a troupe in New York where it's all men, and so half of them are, are dressed as women. So he did ballet in drag, and he was incredible. And he really showed me that this was an, a viable option for me because he saw how much I loved it and my potential. He and the teacher who brought him in encouraged me to try to go to a more elite school because to get the proper training to actually have a career, you, you really have to go to a competitive environment where they're going to teach you how hard it is and get you to the level you need to be to, to compete mm. for a job. So then I auditioned when I was, it's hilarious too, like the age thing in ballet. When I was 12, I went for the summer, I was accepted. I was 12, so my mom and I both really felt like we needed another year together. I was like such a mama's girl. Um, and it's, it sounded so scary to be away from her, even though I loved it and even though I wanted to do it. 
we we talked a lot and my dad too they they thought you know one more year at home you are still getting pretty good training because Dion is here so we will wait and I was so worried at 13 when I went back I did get accepted for the summer but it's much harder to get in for the year as well that summer I was so scared that they wouldn't think I hadn't kept up enough to be reaccepted but I was luckily and so I enrolled full-time ballet boarding school in Canada when I was 13 years old I stayed there for four years and it was it was just it's putting a you're a big fish in your little small pond and then you get thrown into the ocean of really like incredibly talented students everybody's bodies are made more or less for ballet but even then as you're going through puberty this is when you're going through puberty so the girls are developing breasts and their thighs are filling out and all these things that are not part of the quintessential long thin ballerina aesthetic so each year people would be let go like they would be told that they weren't invited to return to ballet school so that was really intense emotionally to be worried every year that you would be told that you're not good enough or that your body isn't right to do ballet wow (laughs) do you think when you were 13 do you think that concern of not being accepted uh you know, as we all experience at 13, I can I, I can recall that in, in different facets, but do you think that concern drove you forward in, into being accepted after all uh, at your skill level? Uh, to, a, to a point. Preparing I, along the way, maybe? I had a pretty exceptional ego for a 13 year old. I was really self-confident. I think my self-confidence then is was greater than it is. <laughs> That's not true. The arrogance, the arrogance maybe versus the uh, confidence. Arrogance, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I was pretty arrogant. And I, I definitely channeled that diva from that film I saw when I was two of, I'm amazing, I'm a gift to this art form. And I obviously had so much to work on and I, I put in the work. Yeah, I'm the exception to the rule. Yeah, but I was also, and we were very aware of this because you're st- you stand in front of a mirror all the time when you're in ballet school. I was aware that my body was not the best, but it was also not the quote unquote worst. So terrible. This is a whole, that's a whole different thing. I really never went down the rabbit hole of body dysmorphia, which I'm really fortunate uh, because I have friends who who struggled with that but I was I was lucky and I knew I was lucky that my body was cooperative when it came to ballet Mm. I had enough turnout to get by I was able to find the muscles to use that helped me to not build bulk but build strength it's really 
interesting our bodies have so many small muscles that a lot of people don't ever use they sometimes don't feel those muscles because we have these powerhouses like your glutes and your quads that take over most of the time so you have to be really mindful to actively engage uh the smaller muscles like the glute meat and the there's a lot oh, <laughs> there's man. a lot of adductors like it's crazy you have to actually learn a lot of anatomy not necessarily by taking an anatomy course but by working with a physical therapist and with your teachers know what what needs to be activated right yeah professional ballet it's going to demand an elite level of physical fitness mm -hmm. so you have to i would imagine you have to keep a healthy physical training slash physical wellness balance absolutely Yes. How do you find you do that? Like well, for you? Okay, so the the trick with something like ballet, because it it is overall physical wellness, but it is also quite specific. The trick is doing a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. I train for even during this, I train for two hours at least in the morning, every morning. Well, Monday through Friday. Actually, I've been doing Saturday and Sunday too, <laughs> just because there's there's so little to keep you grounded during this time mm. that having that consistency yes, that's has the been word really I was thinking. important for for my mental and physical well being. Sure. Yeah, in tandem. Mm hmm. Absolutely. But then knowing when to to take a day off, sometimes your body tells you and you really have to listen. Mm -hmm. But you can't always listen to your body because it will tell you like subtly, I don't really want to. Yes. <laughs> um, but every once in a while, you really know, you really know and, and you should listen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can relate to that. And anything worth doing, uh, anything that you that you find that grounding in that you can do every day, you know, mm -hmm. there can always be more to chip away at. There can always be more to refine and get better at. And in that, mm -hmm. that momentum that you build, momentum begets momentum. So it's, you know, as Kendrick Lamar once put it, you know, life is a traffic <laughs> jam. It's completely accurate in my experience is that you you're so ready to go and you it is good to go and then you reach a stoplight you inevitably reach that yellow light mm. you know maybe you have to refuel you know so it's just as important i think to know when to go 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 and go hard as it is to give yourself that recuperation day you know what i allow myself this uh the taste of this you know keto ice cream or whatever it is that your 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 cheat oh, day might are involve you Fat homemade ice cream. Homemade ice cream. What am I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> we. I say we to that. That's about the extent of my French. Oui, oui. <laughs> Cro <Bien> croissant. <laughs> croissant. <laughs> Tombe. <laughs> Tombe. You learned something today. I did. I did. <laughs> I'm learning things too. I yeah. like that Kendrick Lamar quote. <laughs> um, Shout out to Kendrick. Good. Shout out to Kendrick. That made me think of. When you're stuck in a traffic jam, you can be physically stuck, mm -hmm. but you can find movement in stillness. Yes. I've been, so part of my daily practice has been ballet class virtually with 
Suzanne Hag, who is our resident choreographer at Eugene Ballet. Yes. And so it's wonderful. It's been really beautiful to see some of my coworkers' faces every day and go through that. But bars, ballet bar is almost like a meditation because it's always the same sequence. It's the same progression of steps. You have your plies, your bending of the legs, then your tendus, which is brushing your feet along the floor in all directions. Then there's off the floor, you do your vent de jambe, which is like um, you're making little half circles with your feet on the floor and keeping your hips actively rotating away from each other. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. But so that meditative, consistent practice is very grounding. And then the second part of my daily training for myself is I've been learning about Gaga dance, which is a style created by uh, Ohad Naharin. He's an Israeli choreographer, and I'm not sure if he's still, but it was the director of Batsheva Dance Company. These are all amazing places that are live streaming content online right now. So I'm just putting that out there. Uh, but Gaga dance it explores a lot of different it's just different dynamics and okay for example you imagine that your arms are a rope and you twist one arm out and one in and you're imagining that you're wringing that rope out and it gives you this beautiful like stretch through through your shoulder blades that you wouldn't necessarily find on your own. Um, and then the idea t in today's practice of having oil in your joints, so you're you're rotating your wrists, so rotating your ankles, and feeling like they're they're getting oiled up, they're getting softened and you're just helping everything move more smoothly so that's the second part of my day and then I go in a garden a little or I go on a walk or run depending on how I'm feeling about my cardio and yeah it's the consistency though the consistency and then finding stillness and movement the, ba the balance there I'm I'm in the process of finding that balance daily. I can relate to that. Yeah. And you've you've spoken a little bit about you mentioned Suzanne Suzanne Hag, um, yeah, being a strong mentor of yours during time with Eugene Ballet. Tell us about the process of joining Eugene Ballet. You know, how long have mm. you been a member? I have been in that co in the company <laughs> since 2011. So th this coming fall, I'll be starting my tenth season. It's like a sports season. We go September through April or May, depending. Of course, this year was a little different, but when I joined, I was 18, and a lot of the company members were just very welcoming, and there's like a competitive nature with the younger dancers, and then the dancers who've been there a long time. So I think Susie had already been in the company maybe 
oh my gosh, I have no idea. Seven years when I joined, maybe? She danced with the company for, I think, 14 years and then retired and has been choreographing. She choreographed as she was still dancing as well. She's incredible. But from the beginning, she was always just so kind and would answer any questions that I might have, even if they were stupid. When you join, you really don't know what's going on, and it's kind of an intern period, so you really want to get the job, and so you want to always be showing that you're doing the work and trying, but you're, it's, it can be like overwhelming and scary. And so having dancers like Suzanne, who had been there a long time, and Heather Wallace, who was principal and before she retired, was really important in just, you know, dancers show each other the ropes. I'm trying to be the Susie to some of the newer dancers because there's not a, you know, your training is, is done. You're 18, now you're an adult. Here, here do do this professional job and take care of yourself completely <laughs> mentally and emotionally. It's it's hard. But having the support of older kind of the, the veteran dancers, as it were, who know what's gonna happen on tour and can tell you that you should really pack a warm blanket and a <laughs> pillow for the bus and that you should take time when you're injured and not be stupid and push through. So she's been incredibly supportive my whole career here and actually gave me my first opportunity at a lead role this past February. We did an adaptation of a local author, Greg Allegiance. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right. We did his The Large Rock and The Little You. And I was the little you, which was really lovely. So it was kind of exploring what it what it feels like and what it looks like to be to be bullied or to be underestimated, put down, and then find the strength within yourself to to push forward anyway. And despite it, and not not just despite it, but but using that to to help you become better. You know, for those of us who haven't seen the movie Black Swan, uh, obviously that <laughs> <laughs> obviously that sorry. being a joke. <laughs> tell us, um, tell us sorry, about some just, of. That's my my unbridled response to that movie. <laughs> Giant LOL. Yes, tell us about some of the challenges of maintaining a career in ballet. Ooh, ah, You've kind of okay. spoken on the, 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 the physical training and the, uh, the physical wellness uh, aspect of it, but some of the challenges that you've uh, just found in your journey of maintaining a career in ballet. Could you expand on that? Absolutely, yeah. Um, that's a great question. When I, you had asked before how it was joining the company and you really don't know, you, you can never get an idea of what a company's environment is like until you're there and in it and doing the daily grind with your coworkers. Definitely when I joined, it, it was, you know, I just, I love ballet so much and I'm so lucky 
to have this job because it was so, I mean, it's so brutal finding a job in ballet that, um, and I mean, arguably keeping it for sure, but what I have found over the years is that there is so much value in knowing what's going on <laughs> and you really, you, you don't, you can't know what's going on because there's so many moving pieces. Until you've been a place for at least a year, usually a couple. And so the value of the veteran dancers that I talked about, Susie, Heather, uh, Danielle told me, was like indispensable starting out for, for a young dancer. And now I'm one of those veteran dancers, so to speak, going into my 10th season, I know what's going on, I know what's expected, and how how you need to participate in, in a rehearsal environment, and what works and what doesn't for this particular group of people is always changing because the group, the group of people changes some years more than others. We actually have a fair amount of turnover this year not dancers being let go, but dancers who who had been here for, you know, five seasons and they wanted to go try somewhere else. It's something that I've thought about many, many years uh, is, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try somewhere else. But it's really beautiful to know your artistic staff really well to have the kind of relationship that I have with Susie where she's been a mentor since I was really green <laughs> and she's seen me like develop as an artist and and we were peers and now she's my boss essentially wow. so having having that relationship is of course, I think in any job, it's really beneficial if you get along with your coworkers, both your superiors and the people that you're working quote unquote next to. In ballet, it's a little different. Literally, Susie is right next to me when we're rehearsing. She's, she's very involved. We're all very f physically near each other. And it's not usually here with working with Tony Pimble as well, the artistic director, it's it's more of a collaborative process because not everybody moves the same way. There is some give and take and having something to say as an artist is really valuable. I learned pretty early on that Tony likes it and I mean most choreographers like it when you take their prompts, they'll give you kind of an idea of kind of what movement they want. Sometimes they have it completely hashed out and then you just execute it. But sometimes, and more often than not, they have a rough idea, but they don't exactly know what it looks like. And so if you can take that idea into your body and show them something that's interesting and looks good on you, that's very valuable. And that's a skill that you you need time to develop. And so finding that, finding your artistic voice and a way of expressing it that's pleasing to the people that you're working for, that's how you keep a job. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, in something that's so competitive because sure. You, you know, you have to know your value. And I know that I'm not the most clean dancer. We'll talk about cleanliness. And when I, you know, when I was training at Royal Winnipeg, they were very interested in making sure that we were doing everything with the absolute cleanest technique. And our associate artistic director here, Jen Martin, I also trained at Royal Olympic Ballet School, so part of why I was hired here to begin with, I couldn't afford a plane ticket to Oregon, um, so I just sent my video, and she, you know, they asked if I could come, and I said, I really can't afford to, but they still hired me as an apprentice, but they still had that vote of confidence in me because they knew I had had the training that I had. They knew exactly what that would look like. So doing, so delivering the consistent, clean work, but also having something interesting going on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Showing up to work every day. I think that's true. Um, in any profession, there's going to be a day or two or a lot more when you really don't feel like it. But showing up and maybe you're not doing your best work, but you're there and you're trying and you're maybe something hurts. Uh, that's really common in ballet is that you'll have things not feel good in your body, like a really tight muscle in your back or your foot or whatever and finding a way to work in that doesn't that doesn't make the problem worse but you can still you can still move you can still move and not and not aggravate the situation mm -hmm. <laughs> and of course that's where you find do i need to stop for a minute you know, you get professional medical advice, highly endorsed professional medical <laughs> advice uh, for athletes especially, but for anyone, if something feels wrong, short of being a hypochondriac about it, it it's it's really good to to get get an opinion, get someone's opinion. Sure. Anyway, I really went. <laughs> really, you went all the way in. Went all the way in. Well, always, you have to be very present <laughs> absolutely in, in you have to go all you have to dive in if you want to dance for your job <laughs> I, yeah, of course right you know the, the you know like you mentioned the word competitive you know the world of ballet can be very very competitive i'm sure you know mm -hmm. and as someone who has succeeded in building a career in ballet what are some of the things you would recommend to aspiring dancers, maybe that aspiring ballet dancer out there who might be struggling to maintain a healthy balance of training, study, networking, and personal life. Absolutely. The two key things are believing yourself. I was never the best dancer. I'm still not the best dancer, but I do believe that I have something to offer that is good. And I don't always believe that, not every day, but you have to, you have to believe in yourself. And then you also have to be humble, have humility, and r relate to the people around you. Other dancers that you meet auditioning, I'm still 
really dear friends with this woman who I met at an audition in Rhode Island. I was living in New York for the, my last year of high school after Winnipeg. My parents were so supportive, so that helps a lot too. Uh, I met her just at an audition. We were both, you know, a little stressed because it's a stressful situation. But we got on instantly. We just were, were you have to be friendly. You've got to show yourself in your best light and, and find what makes you happy when you're, when you're doing the work. Because if you, if you're not having fun, it's it's not it's just a dark dark place and i've been there when i've been like really injured and nothing felt good i was not having fun that's it's not sustainable so so finding what makes you happy it could be someone that you click with in your school or your company and you don't talk during ballet class but just honestly smiling at someone across the room can really lift you up and and remind you that you love dancing and you love moving and you love the the art of it the music whatever it is i love music i <laughs> actually asked susie she was making a new playlist for our quarantine ballet classes and she sent out on Instagram, you know, like, does anyone have any requests? And I asked her to do, like, a Spanish guitar class. And she found all this fab fabulous Rodrigo y Gabriela and other amazing Spanish guitar artists and put together a class with all that kind of music. And I was living this morning <laughs> with that beautiful passionate music uh, so good and sometimes we do class to disney songs so everybody loves that it's uh yeah finding finding joy in the consistency that's key finding joy in the consistency always key and mm -hmm. as we move forward with the episode before we wrap up there are a couple things i wanted to touch on you know, in it, this show is all about being centered around the idea of happiness and success and people's journey to happiness and success. Where would you say you are on your journey to happiness and success, Sarah? Well, uh, it's, it's a journey. It doesn't end, you know, I'm in it. I'm not, I don't think I'm in the middle or near the end or beginning. I'm, I'm pretty young, but like I said, for ballet, I'm, I'm a little older. Um, I'm finding out what aspects of this job I love and how to keep those and maybe move away from the things that are more more taxing on my body as my body is changing like point shoes are notoriously pretty rough for your feet so i've i've thought about a lot of different ways to stay dancing it's difficult to 
say that I don't want to stay stay in ballet because I love ballet and I always want to take that as my basis. I think dancers who who take ballet class every day just they have a, a grace and an ease of movement that dancers who maybe do a modern technique class or some other cross training as their primary practice, they they look a different way. They just move a different way. And I I love the movement that ballet allows my body to produce, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Crystal clear sense to me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so finding a way to, to keep that but maybe move away from point shoes and from brutal partnering situations. Um, that, uh, I don't know. Finding happiness is, I think it's a daily choice. Totally. Uh, so you're never not able to be there. And success is also, I mean, it's pretty relative. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's all I relative. Get really philosophical and existential. Um, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> you know, I don't know if we have time for that, Sky. We are ra- we are wrapping up here shortly, and, <laughs> and really, I guess all in all, you know, nobody else can walk in your pointed shoes on this journey but you. <laughs> Absolutely. But happiness oh. is a choice for all of us every day. Yes. And I can't believe I didn't say this before. Um, I think learning new things all the time, whether it's as small as feeling something different in how you moved, shaking things up. Feeding the inner child. Ah, so important. Don't take yourself too seriously. Find your joy and your bounce. Yeah, feeding your inner child. I made chocolate cake yesterday. It was, oh, so good. Uh, yeah. But then I also, like, bounced around <laughs> a lot. And, yeah, just finding, finding that, that inner joy. Didn't want to focus on the COVID-19 situation we're all going through right now. It, it seems unavoidable, though, with... Mm. With performance venues closed, what other artistic outlets have you found to stay positive and focused? Mm, absolutely. So, actually, every Sunday evening at 5 p.m., I've been teaching a beginner, like really for true beginners, my mom took, and she had never taken ballet before, and she's, you know, older, doesn't matter. She uh, she came and we do ballet bar, but to 80s music. And sometimes I dress up in like a Jane Fonda outfit and get really goofy. On Easter, I wore my bunny ears and it was a grand time. Uh, so, so doing those every week helps me know that it's Sunday. And also, I get to share just my love of 80s music and ballet at the same time with people who have never done it before, because that's that's the people that I'm interested in. I used to teach kids ballet 
but I would get so hyper focused on their technique in a way that most of them did not want <laughs> that it was neither productive nor fun um and so what I've learned is that what I really want is to to just introduce people to ballet so that that's been helping a lot and then getting to watch incredible companies from all over the world the performances that they're posting for free normally you'd have to pay you know 40 50 bucks to see these companies but i saw and i think you watched it too royal ballet or uh was it yeah it was royal ballet doing their interpretation of kafka's metamorphosis and it's just this incredible feast for the eyes and the senses and the yeah it's just getting to watch incredible art has helped a lot <laughs> to help me stay inspired and want to to keep my body able to dance the way that i know it can when it comes to learning something new here's something a bit of information that you know a couple of our listeners might not be privy to um but in 1979 41 years ago cinderella was the first was the eugene ballet company's first full-length ballet performance oh wow i actually didn't (laughs) i shouldn't admit that but (laughs) bam we do our research over here at sky violet sundays well done these were of course the pre-halt center days so the performance took place in the sheldon high school auditorium and oh. believe that or not yeah it's strange to think but the Holt Center especially if you've been to the Holt Center it's such a technologically advanced and beautifully well-maintained venue um, yes and it didn't open until September 24th 1982 wow. so little trivia for you and I say that to say if all goes well with the public reopenings it looks like Eugene Ballet will be bringing Cinderella to the Holt Center stage this November Mm-hmm. November 6th and 8th. But before that, actually, we are bringing our show that was going to be performed in April. I mean, hopefully. We'll, we'll see. I'm hopeful, though. I'm hopeful that we'll get to perform Heaven and Earth on September 18th and 20th at the Holt Center. I was excited about them before. Anytime there's live music on stage... Those are my favorite performances. For Cinderella, we'll also have Orchestra Next in the pit. Where can people learn more and buy tickets? Uh, EugeneBallet.org. And I think they'll be linked to the Holt Center for the Performing Arts website to buy tickets. So the HaltCenter.org or EugeneBallet.org. Beautiful. Sarah, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add about upcoming performances or where people can follow on social media? Oh, yeah. Um, so, hashtag instaballet.org is also a great resource for those events as they come up. There should hopefully be one at the first Friday of every month this summer. It will probably happen virtually. But you can be there on Facebook Live or um, Zoom. We will have people come in and, and share their ideas and we'll create a ballet together. 
even though we can't physically be together. Connection. The human connection. Yes, the human connection. So important. And creating. Creating things. Learning learning new stuff. That's what we're all about here at Sky Pilot Sunday is the creative minded and exploring those journeys along the way. Um, yeah. That's our time for this week. Thank you so much, guys, for being here on the podcast today and listening in wherever you are. I truly hope something that Sarah and I have shared today resonates with you while at home. What did you think of the episode? And when it comes to mental well-being and balance, what is the number one tactic or method that you've applied to achieve a state of mental balance? Let us know when you follow Sky Pilot Sundays on Instagram at Sky Pilot Sundays. Let me know at the real SkyFi, and of course, use that hashtag SkyPilotSundays. If you would, do us a solid and give this podcast a like, share, rate, and review. Really helps us out. Once again, you can find every episode of this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Stitcher, Radio Public, and tune in. Make sure to subscribe to Sky Pilot Sundays and never miss an episode. Till next week, peace and love, Sky Pilots. Over and out.